the failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. We need a president who respects science, who understands that the damage from climate change is already here. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 2, The Manifesto. I'm Ian Collins. It's a Friday, which means we open up the gates for a thorough discussion on all matters green, the environmental stories that have crossed the news agenda over the last week. Nothing escapes the gaze of this podcast. Dale Vince is our man with the joystick on matters. Morning, Dale. Yeah, morning, Ian. Good one to start with, actually. The curious conundrum of the UK government's green agenda. I think we could put it like that because every week we seem to catch out a not a small but a fairly glaring contradiction in policy. And we now read this this week that ministers will allow oil drillers to keep exploring the North Sea for new reserves despite the government's pledge to tackle carbon emissions. This is filed under the category of you couldn't make this stuff up. Yeah, they're a bit like Schrodinger's cat, aren't they? You know, they kind of uh, are green or they are not green. Both at the same time, it would appear, because, you know, we've we've had the 10-pointless plan from Johnson. Then we've seen the coal mine waved through, third runway of uh, Heathrow, the Drax extension to make the biggest gas power station in Europe. And now this, and not just allowing uh, exploration in the North Sea, but investing a total of £16 billion in that. And to Mm. make it even worse, dressing that up is being presented as an important part of the transition away from oil and gas, which is just incredible. I mean, this is straight out of 1984, some kind of double speak, I would call it. (laughs) Because, you know, it it is actually the opposite. It's not uh, part of the transition. It's extending the use of fossil fuels, and it's the last thing we need to be doing. Yeah, but the government said it's a landmark deal. It would help support the oil and gas industry's transition to clean energy in the future. Yeah, but by giving them another 10 or 20 years to drill for oil and gas. I mean, how does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, Many green campaigners uh, felt that the UK would follow other countries. I think Denmark and France have agreed to ban new oil exploration and, and, and won't even give out licenses for anything new. So there's precedent just over the channel uh, of countries adopting a more robust approach, but clearly uh, our government have decided not to. Yeah, we can see how it needs to be done. And I mean, there are plenty of precedents uh, more widely in terms of what we need to do to get to zero carbon. So like in the last few days or just before the North Sea announcement, the government also announced they were cutting the support for electric cars because, of course, they're not part of the answer to the climate crisis, are they? And so (laughs) here you've got a government chucking $16 into the North Sea to uh, ease the transition or help the transition, uh, as they say, and withdrawing support from electric cars. I mean, where's the support for that transition? We've only got 200,000 electric cars on the road out of 30 million. I mean, you know, the transition's barely begun, really. But the government say they can't afford it. And uh, we did the maths, and actually last year it cost about 300 million quid. Wow. So it's doable. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, this ties in, actually, from Dawn on Facebook, who says, how about the government stops HS2 and pumps that money into tax-free solar power and electric cars, which kind of feeds in again to the sort of enormous contradictions that we seem to stumble across on their policy here. Yeah, the government can always find money for... Uh, some of these, um, what do you call them, virility projects, some people call them, like HS2, uh, nuclear power, and, you know, pumping up the North Sea, that kind of stuff. I mean, they find billions and tens of billions of this kind of stuff. But when it comes to green stuff, uh, it's just too expensive. Yeah. Uh, Here's one, and I never thought this sentence would be anything we would utter. Penises are shrinking because of pollution. There you go, I've said it. Yeah, I saw that story last week. I thought it was interesting because quite often when you get into a debate about uh, the environment and uh, you know the environment crisis and what the cause of that is, people will pipe up and say it's not about climate change. Uh, you know, it's not about what we. The fact is, there are too many people on the planet, and that's growing into an uncontrollable number. Uh, but this study, and it was a it was a very big study of uh, global fertility suggests that uh, there won't be any fertility by around 2045 you know so the population growth may actually be at zero it's very interesting compared to the kind of conventional view Mm. that population growth is out of control Uh, i don't think that it is but uh, this is caused by a cocktail of of chemicals that are in everyday products are all around us and they bioaccumulate in our bodies and they're affecting fertility and i think from from memory, uh, it, it said that uh, you know guys today have got half the fertility age thirty that their the grandfathers yeah. had, and something similar for women. And it's also literally the length of your willy as well. Yeah, apparently, apparently. Yeah. So kids born today will be uh, inferior in terms of not that it's you know <laughs> it's not a competition, but nonetheless <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> I, I know sometimes you know when we're in the traps we think it is. But it's nonetheless interesting that because of industrial chemicals, literally, it is shrinking the size of your penis. Yeah. And actually, I mean, from my perspective, it's it's more interesting that it's putting a crimp on population growth, which is almost like nature kind of reacting to what it is that we're doing to the planet, although we're doing it to ourselves as well. You know, we're kind of like our own worst enemy and yeah. answer to the problem that we pose ourselves, if you if you get what I mean. You know, population will be controlled because of our crazy lifestyle. Here's one from Carl on Twitter. He says, I hope the fishermen come after you for damage to their boats if they hit your rock. You should be ashamed. I think the question needs some explanation, Dale. What's going on here? Yeah, I joined Greenpeace in an action a few weeks ago. They've started or had started dropping boulders into marine protection zones to prevent trawling. Uh, I think it's a bit of a scandal that we've got 40 of these so-called marine protection zones. Most of them have fished, like all but four, and three quarters of them are trawled, which is the most destructive form of fishing that you could dream up. I mean, it just destroys everything on the ocean bed, so not a lot of protection there. And Greenpeace came up with a genius idea, I think, of dropping rocks, um, an array of rocks across a marine protection zone so that trawlers don't drag their nets across it because they'll lose or damage their nets. And uh, so there's one right now at the bottom of the English Channel just off Brighton with my name on it. And, um, you know, it's it's protecting fish there, which I'm really chuffed about. The fishermen know they're there. The chances of them uh, damaging their nets are very small because, you know, they just won't go there. And that's the whole purpose of it. It's like a deterrent. 
but but what I really like about it is not just activism; it's really practical activism. And I think of it as practivism because you know it actually stops this fishing in these protected areas, which is perfect. Worth saying, an addendum to this story: a couple of days ago, the government announced that they are going to ban trawling and fishing in the marine protection zones. They're going to do it over three years. They're not going to do it in a hurry. But uh, it looks like they've done it in reaction to Greenpeace's campaign. So that worked. You've got to buy more rocks. (laughs) Maybe not now. (laughs) Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, Here's a great story. We've touched on this many, many times. Um, And and that is the the latest must-have thing for U.S. billionaires is a plan to end the climate crisis. It does seem that everybody, we've got Elon Musk, uh, Bill Gates in there as well, Jeff Bezos, everybody seems to have decided that this is their, their focus now. I um, I saw that story and, and yeah, I think it's interesting and it's kind of, it's the issue of our times, isn't it? The climate crisis. So perhaps it's not surprising that some of the world's uh, richest, most powerful people would pick it up as a cause. Um, I don't know what these guys are going to do about it, but it can't be a bad thing. I, hope. I, I suppose philanthropy and uh, benevolence and, and where you throw large chunks of money changes over the years. I, I guess to be ultra skeptical here um, or cynical on this what would be that it's the it's the agenda of the moment, uh, and, and that is what they're latching onto. Or would that be unfair on uh, these guys who who may have genuine concerns? I mean, Bill Gates has just released a book about driving emissions down to zero is he for real do you believe him yeah i mean i do i think uh we can't know why any or all of them have got engaged in this subject but it definitely is the topic of the moment you know it's the zeitgeist and um you know why shouldn't it occur at that end of the spectrum let's say in terms of wealth and power as well as it does to the everyday person on the street where i mean we all care about it and uh, across that spectrum, there'll always be people that jump on it for other reasons. Um, but uh, I'm going to assume, until I know otherwise, that these guys have jumped on it for the right reasons. For the right reasons. Good work. Uh, this from Ben, who says, I saw Seaspiracy this week. Oh, my God, forget my obsession with plastic straws. <laughs> I'm thinking long and hard now about giving up fish, even before giving up meat. I thought fish was better for me and the planet. Yeah, I think it's one of the big wake-up messages coming out of this film, actually. A lot of people have said the same thing. I mean, exactly the same thing. It, You know, plastic is a problem, yes. Uh, but the damage being done to the sea, the destruction to, to wildlife in, in the oceans is incredible. And it's easily on a par with the destruction that we're wreaking on land-based wildlife and habitats through intensive animal farming. And it's relatively unknown, and this film is shining a spotlight on that. Yeah. This is a Netflix documentary, and you're one of the producers, right? Yeah, I'm an exec producer of the film, yeah. And that all began well, about four years ago, I think, yeah, when yeah. Kip, the guy that made it, came to see us and said he wanted to make a ocean version of Carospiracy, his previous film. The best place to live in the Southwest has been revealed in the Sunday Times Annual Guide for 2021. Uh, and Stroud was named as the best overall place in Britain to be. Yeah. Your patch. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise, I have to say. Uh, because just, you're I'm, there, do you think? No, is that why? Yeah. No, I'm just, I must have just landed lucky, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
like I did with this climate thing, you know, these issues have been bothering all, all of my yeah. life. And, you know, some people say, oh, you're, you're head of like, uh, head of trends, you've spotted them well, you've got in early and stuff like that. I think I mentioned that in my book, but I don't see it that way. I've just been bothered about these things forever. And I'm just very lucky, I think, uh, fortunate that the world is moving this way. And so maybe I just happen to uh, be lucky to be living in uh, what the Sunday Times now describes as the best place in Britain to live. Who knows? Yeah. But it's oh, a lovely place. And, you know, I, I stopped here 30 years ago in my trailer parked up on a hill. And that's when yeah, I had right. the, uh, the big idea to drop in and build a windmill. But it's, you know, it's a lovely place. It's got some really creative people. Yeah. It's open. It's friendly. It's, yeah, it's got everything. A lot of questions coming in, Dale, as well, on uh, this weekend's football. Yeah, tomorrow we play Bolton. It's a bit of a top-of-the-table clash. I think they're just a couple of points behind us. And uh, it's on Sky. And, um, yeah, it's a little bit exciting. I mean, I can't really ask you as the club chairman for a prediction, can I? Because, I mean, obviously the only answer is that you guys are going to win. <laughs> well, people ask for predictions all the time, and I, and I always say the same thing. I actually don't know. Uh, obviously, I hope that we win, but it's football, and um, it's a very difficult game to predict. Which is, it, it's incredibly difficult to predict, of course, and we've all seen those kind of bogey teams that pitch up and do terrible damage to top-flight clubs, and uh, the, uh, the, the the history books of football are full of those kind of moments. But it is just worth noting that you guys are playing particularly well at the moment, and, and there's definitely a sense of momentum around Forest Green Rovers. Yeah, we're third in the uh, the final auto, uh, automatic promotion place with about 10 games to go. So it's a kind of uh, exciting time of the season. And I would say neither us nor nor Bolton are kind of bogey teams. We're both uh, in a good place. And uh, it's a proper clash for a top slot in the league. So it should be exciting. It should be good. It's on TV. It's on Sky. Good work. This final one from Claire on Facebook. Heard you with Max and Barry on the Guardian Football Weekly podcast. What a breath of fresh air in football, particularly your views on betting and junk food. My team could learn a thing or two. I'm now listening back to episodes of your podcast. and wondering if it's not too cheesy to have a second club. There you go. So Claire, is, Claire doesn't declare who uh, her first club is, by the way, which is slightly disappointing. <laughs> but nonetheless, let's just look at that issue of betting and junk food. What, what, what are those areas that clearly Claire and others picked up on? Yeah, um, we were talking about sponsorship and the other guys on the panel were saying it's wrong for football to be sponsored by Gazprom and stuff like that. The, the topic we were talking about was sustainability and football, how they go together. And I was just saying that um, we, we don't take sponsorship from companies who are doing things that we don't believe in. Uh, the, the, the question to me was, you know, how, how can you do that? Doesn't it make it harder? And I don't think it does make it harder. I think we all have to have principles and places where we won't go. And for us, fast food is being sport washed. Uh, fossil fuels are being sport washed as well, actually. But gambling, I think, is... Um, taking over football in particular and i think it's a real problem the government have been talking about banning it so you know how bad it is if that happens because you know these guys aren't usually ahead of the curve true true yeah i think certainly watch this space when you consider the amount of debates we do um on on the issue of gambling separate to football and then you factor in just how massive they have become in terms of football sponsorship tv ads big celebrities putting their name to all of this there is a I I'm, I always think there's a slightly uncomfortable fit there. Yeah, gambling is a, a pretty harmful industry yeah, for people that can't control it as a as a habit, I guess. Yeah. An amusing thing on the podcast though was as we were in mid flow, the uh, the team leading it got a tweet from the Guardian saying, "Don't call it climate change; you have to call it 
uh, the climate crisis because that's more appropriate language. And so it occurred to me to uh, to just pipe up and say, how long do you think it will be, guys, before we have to up the language and call it the climate clusterfuck? I like it. And that is what I want to hear Boris Johnson say next time at the dispatch box. I'd pay good money to see it. Yeah. <laughs> and they kept it in the episode. I thought they would cut it out, but they yeah. liked it. They, yeah. I, I'm waiting to see it in The Guardian next. No, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it's remained in the edit on this episode as well. Fantastic. Nice um, Dale, have a cracking week. We'll speak next Friday. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Ian. Good work. That's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, you can follow this podcast from your podcast provider. That means you get each new episode automatically. Um, it's also appreciated if you leave a review there as well. If you want to get in touch, very simple. You can email your comments and questions, zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. And absolutely vital this, do make sure you follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince. Zero carbon east off.